0: On November 16, 1918, a trade union paper in Ireland went out to tens of thousands of readers with the front page headline, the European Revolution. Underneath was written, thanks be to God that we have lived to see this day. The red flag of the workers' republic is flying over three quarters of the continent of Europe. In Russia, in Prussia, in Austria, in Bavaria, in Saxony, in Hungary, everywhere in the old Europe of the revolution, except in the gallant land of France, the workers, soldiers, sailors and peasants, the toiling, moiling, laboring classes rule and govern. The new order is socialism. It is the social democracy. The despoiled, dispossessed, and the despised working class as the ruler and governor, the power of powers. It is the sovereign people. It is the workers' republic. End quote. This was a bold statement, but it was not delusional. Hindsight can hide things that were of crucial importance at the time. At that moment the red flag was flying over most of europe this episode will look at this global wave of revolution and its profound impact on the russian civil war you're listening to battle for red october a podcast on the russian civil war this podcast is from the 1919 review that's 1919review.wordpress.com check out the original blog post for images citations edits credits and more This is the 10th episode, and the final episode of Series 1. Through 1918 the German armies on the Western Front had gone from the great victories of spring to the black days of late summer. All the features of mutiny and collapse so familiar from the Russian army in 1917 had begun to appear among German soldiers. It was even more developed among the sailors. Your Majesty, may I urge extreme decisiveness? Extreme. Discipline at home? Discipline. And crush disaffection? Crush it. Yes, Grinner, what have you there? Uh, it's, uh, just another, another telegram I received this morning, Your Majesty. Read it. Troop train in Frankfurt had this slander chalked on it. Slaughter cattle for Butcher Wilhelm and his gang. Around the city of Bremen. Quote, the men crammed into narrow quarters a thousand and more on a single ship and ridden by hunger, hated the officers for their arrogance and for the champagne and butter they consumed. The coolies of the fleet wanted more than an end to the war. They talked of revenge for all the degradations of the past. On several ships secret action committees of the sailors and stokers had been elected. Aged 13 or 14, and living in a Bremen district where workers were already stockpiling arms under their floorboards, Richard Krebs heard tales of the Russian Revolution. Once a sailor returning from Petrograd was our guest. Tall, gaunt, to my eyes a rather adventurous figure, he stood in a corner of the living room and told about the victory of the Bolsheviki and the first workers' government in the world. The room was full of people. They kept coming and going. They asked questions, shook their heads, argued, and many eyes shone." End quote. Moves toward surrender from above gathered pace in an effort to thwart revolt from below. Peace and revolution came closer every day, urging one another on in a mutually reinforcing pattern. They arrived practically together. On November 3rd German sailors stationed at Kiel refused to sail out to certain death. They dropped anchors, smashed the lights, disarmed the officers. On the night of November 7th, Krebs saw the revolution firsthand as it swept through Bremen. These were scenes that would be repeated in every city in Germany. Quote, the population was in the streets from all sides masses of humanity, a sea of swinging, pushing bodies and distorted faces were moving toward the center of town. Many of the workers were armed with guns, with bayonets, with hammers. I felt then, and later, that the sight of armed workers sets off a roar in the blood. The city hall of Bremen fell without real fighting. No one rose to defend the toppling empire. That night, the crowds listened to speech after speech. The speakers included, A lanky soldier, a representative of the newly elected Workers' Council, a large-bodied official of the Social Democratic Party, and in between the thick-set ringleader of naval mutineers, Ernst Wohlweber. Wohlweber hurled his words like rocks into the masses. We stripped the Kaiser to his boots. Now let us finish off the capitalists. Long live the German Soviet Republic. The masses responded. They roared until it seemed their faces would burst. The compulsion was irresistible. I roared with them. The upsurge spread from the coast to the south, with sailors as the spearhead of revolt. The Prussian government gave way. Bavaria was proclaimed a republic. In Hamburg, traditionally the reddest town of Germany, Soviets came to power. The Kaiser bolted to Holland, and two days later the armistice was signed. End quote. In, sir. prince max what is happening what's happening <coughs> what no no it's not the line it's my influenza i have the social democrat leader herr ebert with me and what no street fighting there's a general strike the bolshevik has hello 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 cut off oh my god hello No, we must have a statement in 30 minutes. Yes. Nothing. Perhaps battalions of homosexuals? I said perhaps... Uh, Hello, hello, hello. Cut off. Homosexuals? He asked, how can we disarm the mutinous sailors? I suggested that battalions of homosexuals might do it. (laughs) I agree, a joke in very frivolous taste. On November 9 crowds filled the streets of Berlin. In the offices of grand buildings, aristocrats, generals and politicians debated how best to surrender to the Allies, and how best to appease the masses. Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht, socialist politicians lately released from prison, were out in the streets campaigning for socialist revolution along Russian lines. At this moment, Soviets governed in every major German city. Over the following year, Soviet republics would be established in Hungary and Bavaria. The Austrian monarchy collapsed and the 1920s would be the decade of radical and impressive social experiments in Red Vienna. In France there were general strikes and street fights. In Britain there were mutinies in the army and the strikes on the Red Clyde side. In Ireland, there were general strikes and hundreds of local strikes in the context of an armed struggle for national independence. In Italy there were the two Red Years, and in Spain the three Bolshevik Years. In North America, the Battle of Blair Mountain, the Seattle and Winnipeg General Strikes, The Boston police strike and the great steel strike all took place. All over Europe and North America, those parts of the world where advanced capitalism and industry had developed, there was a wave of revolution. It was not Russia against the world, it was the working class against the wealthy. Russia was merely the weak spot of the old regime, where the working class had managed to push the offensive further than anywhere else. There was rebellion, too, in the colonies and semi-colonies of Africa, Asia and Latin America, the tragic week in Buenos Aires, The Hartal, General Strike, in India, the May 4th Movement in China, the War of Independence in Egypt, the Yorbalen Tax Revolt in Nigeria. This paragraph could go on for a long time with further examples. It was nothing less than a global wave of revolution. As in the former Russian Empire, colonized people had risen up against their rulers. The workers of Russia scanned the papers for news of such events, any successful blow landed against the capitalists anywhere might take some of the weight off their shoulders. 1918 had been a year of digging in and biting the fury of the storm. The Soviet Republic was fighting on 15 fronts and everyone knew the winter would be bitter. But from November the wind changed. Hope carried them through the winter, summed up in a May Day 1919 appeal from the Comintern, The storm is rising. The flames of the proletarian revolution are spreading all over Europe, and it is invincible. At this time there was no talk of socialism in one country. In their writings and speeches, the leaders of the revolution emphasized again and again that the revolution must spread to advanced capitalist countries. They were categorical about this. If the revolution was isolated in an industrially underdeveloped country like Russia, it would fail. But on the other hand, in the words of Trotsky, quote, the German proletariat with its technical expertise, on the one hand. Our ill-organized but vastly populated Russia, full of natural resources on the other. These will form a redoubtable block against which all the waves of imperialism will be smashed. Quote. We can see the importance of Germany in an idea of Lenin's, put forward in writing to his comrades as he was still recovering from the assassin's bullet. He suggested the perspective of Russian soldiers going to aid a German Red Army against the onslaught of Britain and France. Now, he concluded, we need an army of three million. At last the communists could deliver what the left SRs had demanded in their July uprising in Moscow. On November 13 the Soviet Executive Committee declared the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk null and void. The Brest-Litovsk Treaty had been a gamble, with awesome stakes, on a German revolution. Everything the Soviets had gained by the treaty, primarily, time to consolidate, still stood. It had already paid off in the Kazan victory, in the defense of Tsaritsyn. Now much of what they had lost by the treaty could be seized back. The defining fact of 1918 had been that a large part of Eastern Europe was under German occupation. The German Revolution blasted this situation wide open. The events of 1919 and 1920 would be defined by the ever-multiplying challenges and opportunities this presented. Almost overnight, the German occupation of Eastern Europe was reduced to a rump, a long straggling line of German military positions from the Baltic to the Sea of Azov known as Oberkommando Ostfront. Within this area of occupation, the German military slowly disintegrated. Outside, nationalist movements and Soviets took power. Poland had been carved of occupied by the German, Russian and Austrian empires for over a hundred years. In 1917-1918, all three empires collapsed, and Poland emerged. All Polish units had served in Austrian, Russian and German armies during the war. Now these military forces pulled together independent Polish state for the first time since the 18th century. The military leader was Józef Pulsudzky, a former socialist who, in his own words, had got off the tramcar of socialism at the stop called independence. Historically, the Russian Revolution and the struggle for freedom in Poland had gone hand in hand. One of the most famous Russian communist songs was Warszawianka, first sung in Warsaw in the 1860s. Polish workers in Warsaw and Łódź were receptive to Bolshevik ideas. In short, it was by no means obvious that within a year or two Polish and Red Armies would be engaged in a bloody war. How that came to pass will be one of the main things we'll focus on in Series 3. Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, liberated from German occupation, became a battleground between nationalists, communists, British warships and German freebooters. In Ukraine, Germany's puppet Skoropadsky was suddenly high and dry. The Bolshevik underground in the cities rose up and formed armies of Red Guards, guerrilla bands of all political persuasions and none took over the countryside. Germany and Skoropadsky were no longer factors. The stage was set for a struggle between nationalists and communists. The anarchist Black Army emerged at this time as well. If the Russian Civil War seems complex so far, wait until next series when Ukraine will frequently occupy center stage. On top of the fact that the Civil War in Ukraine was many-faceted and eventful. It is currently the scene of heightening tensions. The end of the Great War freed up the Allies to concentrate their forces against the Soviet Republic. For example, French forces would intervene decisively in Ukraine in 1919. We have already seen how the various white forces in the East, from moderate socialists to Cossack bandits, united under Kolchak. Over the coming months, there would be parallel developments in the South. Danikin would form the armed forces of South Russia, uniting various white factions into one power both Danikin and Kolchak would be back to the hilt by the Allies. We have spent a lot of time talking about officers and SRs and Cossacks, Lenin and Trotsky and other individuals. But this series is fundamentally about the people who had slept in shifts on rented beds in the slums of Moscow and St. Petersburg, who had been tanned by the glare of the blast furnace. These people had taken power in 1917 and survived an onslaught in 1918. Now they were shaking the world, inspiring revolution and struggle on every continent. They had formed the core of a powerful army which would soon number 1.6 million. The challenges of 1919 would greatly overshadow those of 1918. But because of the efforts of 1918, the forces at the disposal of the revolution were correspondingly greater. Series 2 of Battle for Red October, which will deal with the epic conflicts of 1919, will appear over the course of the middle and later part of 2022.